You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Creme. This week we have John Stokes. He's basically the first venture capitalist in Canada. He'll share his perspective on their unique approach to working with founders and LPs in emotionally present slash mature way and why they feel that makes all the difference at the end of the day. Enjoy. All right. Sounds good. Everybody on mute, if you could. Welcome back, everybody who is in a breakout room. Hope you had a good conversation there. Um, just so you know what's on tap. And it's episode number 62. This is a new thing we're going to try. We've done this once a week for 62 weeks. That seems like a lot. But we're going to briefly, and what we're going to do today is talk about Diffuse Tap. And then we're going to talk about Diffuse. We're going to have a fireside chat with our very own John Stokes, the expert du jour. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of like what you just did there. Should meet new people, kind of networking, let serendipity do its thing. Why do we do this? Well, this, this is what we do. So 45 minutes of every every uh, hour together here, we do networking in small groups like you just experienced, 15 minutes on insights. And then we do do about once a month in a different location every month, a in-person diffuse tap. Similar concept, no speakers, more drinking, um, but otherwise it's the same setup. So if you're in New York on August 10th, uh, that is the next one. Feel free to join that. About Diffuse, what do we do? We incubate alternative funds uh, across various asset classes, um, but all in alternatives. So we, if we have domain expertise, we'll do it in-house or we partner with domain experts with a very unique investment strategy. And we help get a fund off the ground and Avoid a lot of the uh, stubbed toes from making mistakes right out of the gate. One of those that we just launched is Diffuse Digital StableFi. If you're in blockchain, this is a decentralized finance or DeFi fund that invests exclusively with stable coins. So it's uh, market neutral, meaning that the principal volatility is effectively zero um, within reason, uh, but relatively high yields. And then also Diffuse Digital 30 is another one we launched a little while ago. It's the first kind of institutional quality index fund for digital assets. So if you're an allocator looking for exposure to the asset class, DD30 solves your problem. But the pitch is over. Now to our main event, which is Mr. Stokes and John, I am terrible with intros. So do you want to unmute and briefly introduce yourself? Thanks very much, Kenny. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is John Stokes. Um, I am uh, originally from the UK, uh, but uh, done most of my working life outside of the UK. And for the last 15 years, I have been based out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I can speak a little bit of French if anyone wants to test me, but it, uh, it's not very good. Um, I, I came to Montreal uh, to follow my now wife, who I met while I was working in Tokyo. Uh, prior to coming to Montreal, um, I prior to prior to coming to Montreal, prior to coming to Montreal, I spent probably 15 years as an entrepreneur, uh, either starting doing startups in media, mobile, and um, and internet in primarily Asia Pacific. Um, I was either doing the startups myself, so I was a founder on a couple of occasions, or I was starting regional operations for venture-backed companies. And um, subsequent to that, having had a little bit of success, moved into angel investing, uh, primarily again in Asia Pacific. Um, wasn't particularly successful given that I started that in 2001 and um, decided that uh, it was not a great time to start angel investing, so sort of shut that down. And then I moved, um, I, I met my now wife in Tokyo as part of that angel investing experience. 
and uh, followed her to, to 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 Montreal and have since since coming here 15 years ago all I've really done is venture capital I decided to start real ventures with a couple of other co-founders and uh, we are now on our about to launch what we call our fifth fund 330 million under management um a team of 22 across offices in Montreal and Toronto. And we're focused, uh, well, we are a very much a stage. We're sort of a seed or pre-seed investor. And geography, which our primary focus is Canada, about 80% of our capital gets deployed into Canada, 20% into the US. And as a result of our focus on geography and stage, we really do, we are really very broad in terms of our investment thesis all around technology. So I will, I'll leave it there, Kenny. Beautiful. Well, I'll, um, I'll just, quick comment. We love your life story, uh, nicely covering the globe. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll hop into in the starting point of being one of the first VCs in Canada. Um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of being first to bet when it comes to uh, kind of approaching a new asset class or trying to sell something that, that nobody has bought before? I think a lot of people in the room here in the alternative assets based in the exact same spot where they are trying to convince somebody in the LPs of something that nobody has um, considered before, very few people have appetite for yet. Uh, yes. Um, so I think that, that there, are, there are definitely pros and cons. I think one of the things that people love to hear is something innovative or something different. And so when we were coming to market, the first time we were coming to market was in 2007. What we were talking about was, was something innovative and different. Um, you could think of the story we were telling back then as a combination of the story that Y Combinator or Techstars and first round capital would have told. Uh, if you think about those types of funds, sort of an accelerator type of model combined with an early stage, first check-in type of thing, and right-sizing the check sizes for the environment, which at that time was an environment which uh, required a lot less capital to get up and test a technology idea than had been needed in the previous generation of funds. And so I think it was, it was innovative and it was insightful. So that made it very, very easy. Oh, sorry, that made it interesting for LPs. On the downside, I think the real challenge was that it was something which had not been seen before. Uh, and there was major questions about, well, how could a $5 million fund actually sort of operate? How could it exist? Because our first fund was a very, very small $5 million fund. How could it, how could it exist? Because how, how do you survive on management fees? How do you do this? How do you do that? And all of the questions that would typically be asked of LPs, we just didn't have the same answers. And so that, that mind shift of how do you get an LP who thinks the market opportunity you're talking about sounds really interesting, but the economic model that you're proposing for yourself is just so out of whack for what it is that they're thinking about. So I think these were the, this was the, the real challenge. And I think, the, I guess the final challenge when you, when we were looking, particularly when we were looking at doing what we were doing was building an, uh, Canada, because really it, nothing existed in Canada at that stage or very little, was how do you not only just raise the capital 
and find the companies, but how do you create an ecosystem in which those companies can thrive? And our, um, our mission statement is that we, we, serve, uh, we serve entrepreneurs and nurture the ecosystems in which they thrive because really recognize that that was a key element of what we had to do, a lot of heavy lifting. If I would sort of jump forward, though, what I would say is that heavy lifting of doing the stuff that no one else was prepared to do, in this case, building the ecosystem as well as raising money and investing in companies, is the thing which has sort of truly established us as someone with a strong brand to be trusted that's going to be around there in the, in the good times and the bad or the challenging and the, and the, and the upside. And I think that's been really essential. Uh, I, I sort of would recommend that anyone should be thinking about, about how, do they, how do they do the hard work that no one else is willing to do in order to really embed and establish themselves in curry favor. That makes sense. Uh, when you talk about community building, I think uh, when you're when we're, uh, we're running this event, so you're kind of preaching to the choir, it makes a lot of difference. And actually we do a lot of crypto and it's a uh, similar thing, right? They always start with community first and then you can kind of figure out once you have the key people in there. But how does that work? So you build the ecosystem, you raised your first 5 million, you know, just perseverance, I presume. How have your LPGP relationships kind of evolved since that first fund? And how does that kind of incorporate them with the ecosystem? Yeah, um, perseverance and naivety, I think, at the beginning. <laughs> um, I think that at the, at the beginning, and, and this is one thing, uh, you know, one of the key points that I, I really would like to share is if you're looking to create something, I would ask you to try and consider creating whatever you create from purpose rather than from financial returns. And so this idea of, of purpose of, and purpose is really about trying to serve someone else as opposed to trying to serve yourself. And this idea of trying to serve someone else was the thing that the LPs at the time really, really appreciated. The LPs for our first couple of funds were really a lot of government money in which they were really trying to themselves catalyze the ecosystem and realize they couldn't do it. And so this, time of, this type of mindset was what was really at the very, very beginning. The evolution of GP relationships um, has been interesting though, while we still have extremely strong relationships with our very early LPs. As we've grown and matured and the ecosystem in Canada has matured to a point where now it is, you know, a, a thriving ecosystem, much, much more of the new money that's coming in, the new LPs, they're really very much focused on IRR and DPI and TVPI. And getting that balance right and that transition of, people that came in because of the purpose and now people that are coming in because of the returns and trying to get that balance is, is, is a very challenging thing. And this is, I think, the biggest thing about the dynamic and the dynamic between the different objectives of each of the different LPs. And I think that kind of brings us to the next question. I'd love to dig a little bit into just the mechanics um, of these relationships and especially what you've learned as you transition from a GP to becoming an LP. What are some of the kind of bigger uh, boo-boos that people make when they are interacting with each other in this space. Obviously, we in our prep call, we spoke a little bit about ego um, and, uh, and not wanting to be the one that, that makes mistakes or says the wrong thing. What are some of the, the personality 
traits or, or behaviors displayed that, that you see um, kind of put a, put a wrench in, in, in people's work mm. when it comes to having that relationship between GP and LP? Yeah, well, I, I think, although it at times it's still hard to believe for me, I do believe that people have good intentions. And the only reason those intentions might not appear good is because either there's some level of unawareness in them or there's some level of unawareness in me or a combination of the two. And so I, I think back to when I first started in venture, I was told, and, and it's, still, it's still the mantra now, that, hey, as a GP, you have to both show to founders and to LPs that you can add value. And there are you know, different ways in which you can add value, but that, that this is really, really important. Add value, add value, add value. Um, and you add value by the networks you have or the insight or the intelligence that you can bring. And so what do we do as soon as, as someone comes in and starts pitching us, whether it be a, an L, a, a GP to an LP or whether it's a founder to a GP, we're immediately trying to think, and I think this happens at a subconscious level, it certainly did with me, is I want to build a rapport with this person. I'm assuming it's going to be great, and I want, to, I want them to like me. I want them to think that I'm going to add some value. So what do I start doing? Well, I suddenly look for ways in which I can show how smart I am or show how connected I am or show how personable I am. And I, I do this typically by jumping in and interrupting what it is that they're saying. And I think one of the biggest things that I've come to learn and come to see is that you don't want to show how smart or how connected you are in, in a vacuum. I think what you really want to show is how trustworthy you are. And trust is really built from my perspective through listening, not through talking. And I think one of the things which ironically now as I talk, um, I, I have come to realize is the true power of active listening, truly active listening, where you hold back your, your thoughts, whether it be driven by excitement or disillusion and nervousness or, or disregard for who it is you listen to. But you hold it back and you keep listening and you keep asking questions. And that builds trust. And, and the, uh, the, ch the biggest challenge I think we have in GPLP relationships and GP founder relationships is that we invest too much time in adding value and not enough time in building trust. I think this is the biggest, the biggest sort of lesson that, that I've learned. Um, and as a follow-on, because I don't want, I want to get into the little detail, I think we spoke about the, what you call the magic meeting. So what, it, what does that formula look like or, or expand on a little bit more than you just did there? As far yeah. as like active listening is just obviously a buzzword, but you're yeah. more familiar about it. Well, I, yes. So active listening doesn't just start with you and external. It starts with you within your partnership. And I think one of the biggest challenges that you will find as you're building a, partner, building a firm is the inter-firm dynamics. And, uh, you know, as you've gone through 15 years and, and, and you've raised multiple funds and you start to see perhaps carry coming, there's a whole bunch of different dynamics that start to play out. And those dynamics 
can lead to egoic, as you mentioned, or fearful, fear-induced quality discussions. And they are low-quality discussions. And what it is is that everyone wants to get their word in. Everyone has an idea that they want to do. And when, when you're sitting around and debating, what you're really trying to do is wait for a non-rude moment to interject. Or sometimes you even give up on the non-rude moment and you just interject. And we found that this was happening in our partnership, that everyone was really cared, but they just kept jumping in, jumping in, talking over, not listening because you couldn't listen. And so we created one day this thing and it came by luck, but it's been tremendously powerful for our firm, this thing called the magic meeting formula. And the way in which it works is if someone is talking and you decide that you want to say something, you put a finger up and the person who's talking isn't expected to stop. They just continue. You're simply effectively holding your space in the queue. And then if you, if you, someone else wants to say something, they will look around and it requires them to raise their level of awareness. Who else is in the queue? Who else is talking? And if there's someone else, they put up two. If there's, some, if there's two, you put up three. So it causes you to look around and not be so contained in your own mind. That's the first thing. Then when someone has spoken, you just drop down the queue and away you go. But the next thing, the most powerful thing it does is as soon as you raise your finger and you know you're in the queue, and it's important that you notice that this, this is a self-queuing mechanism. It's not a shared queuing mechanism. It's a self-queuing mechanism, which means that you know that you are going to get your turn. And suddenly your fear of missing out and your, the time invested in looking for when you can interject completely disappears. So your ability to listen is enhanced because you know you will be heard. Mm. And this, there is a blog post if you want to search Real Ventures, Magic Meeting Formula. We've actually developed an app that I think uh, we use internally, but eventually we may even put it on the Zoom app store. But that's, that's, it's really, really important to create that space and that safety to know you're going to be heard just have some patience. Another, another bit about knowing you're going to be heard. I think a lot of these um, communication pitfalls start showing up when you're in a transition phase, when things are changing and everybody's reestablishing where they sit within um, uh, in an organization or within a structure. You mentioned that one of the biggest uh, moments when, when things started becoming a little bit uh, uh, prickly was when there was a bit of a leadership change so you were growing and the fund was growing and um, you know, people's roles were changing. Could you dig into maybe some of these moments in a fund's journey when a GP should really watch out for, for changes within the organization, but also changes within themselves and their behaviors? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I think that the change, the, 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 the transition moments that, that people will experience are most often around raising of a new fund or hiring of new partners where dynamics change. I think these are probably the, the two. And in both cases, the reason it is, is because it requires you to take a step back and not look at things from your own eyes, but look at them from the perspectives of others. And then suddenly you become aware of the differences and the, of the perspectives and the interpretations. No bigger, but the transition, which most firms never actually get a chance to experience is leadership transition. We've been going 15 years. I think we are only the second ever and the first venture fund to ever have a leadership transition in Canada. 
And I think we've seen many, many venture funds in the US who have struggled as they go through that, that leadership transition. And this is the biggest one because not only now are you looking at performance and that sort of stuff, you're starting to look at values and what do you value? And we found that whole process a, a challenging process because it does require you to look at yourself as individuals and who should get the role, who should be the new leader. It does really challenge the ego. Uh, but the, all of the work and investment that we put in as a firm, uh, and by that I mean two years of, of personal coaching for each of our, our, our partners, quarter of a million dollars spent on group coaching for everyone, such that we all had higher levels of awareness of how ego and fear could impact our ability to navigate this challenging situation. And it was as a result of putting all of that work in, but what is st was still a challenging negotiation or, or, or evolution was such a beautiful learning experience that everyone came through feeling, feeling so powerful, even though at times during it, it felt very challenging. Um, so it, it, this, I, I think to the point here, it's everything we're saying is invest ahead of time. Invest when you don't, when, when things aren't challenging, is the time to invest and prepare yourself for when they will be challenging. Makes a lot of sense. Well, that takes us to the end of our, uh, well, people's attention span, frankly, on Zoom. So we're going to do a breakout room, uh, a couple etiquette items. Uh, it's pitch. It's sorry. It's pitch. No, it's not. It's networking, not pitching. So let's please respect that. Be kind to one another. Um, and then also uh, technically we don't send out a participant list. So if you find somebody you want to connect with swap details then and there, or join the telegram group, which is already linked and will be in the follow-up email as well. Isla, do you want to talk about breakout rooms? Yeah. So we will hop into breakout rooms for exactly 10 minutes or so. Um, I will pop you into rooms of four to five. So just accept it when I click open all rooms and I will also send you the, uh, the topic in the chat. So the, the first topic for your breakout room is um, what, uh, what kinds of relationship hurdles have you yourselves observed um, as you've been a GP or an LP um, over the past few years? What are the kinds of relationships and errors that you observed in yourselves and teams that you've worked with? Opening up all rooms, see you guys all soon. Welcome back, everyone. We'll do a quick question, mostly to give Isla some cover to shuffle breakout rooms. Um, but yeah, well, actually, I'm going to take one from uh, Nick. I'm going to steal your question. Sorry, Nick O'Meara. Um, LPGP relations, it's great in theory. It's great to have warm and fuzzies, but at the end of the day, they're going to walk away if they lose money. So how much of that is like, hey, yeah, that's long-term viability, and how much of it is just a bit ephemeral, and uh, your track record is really what, what makes it in the long run? And you're probably muted, by the way. Well, if we want to maintain that thought pattern, then it will be self-fulfilling. Um, and I guess uh, I think it starts somewhere with some people not maintaining that thought pattern and um, being open to the potential that could be a different thought pattern. Um, what I will say is that when you form relationships, when, when you, you take in money and you're looking at, at returns, and this is to, to, to the point that you're making, it's very rare that the same individual person that, that chooses and makes the decision to invest in your firm is actually there 
to see the result. So if you say a return is going to be seven years later and you build a relationship, that person, you know, if you look at the LPs, particularly LPs I, I, we deal with, the major LPs, there is so much movement and so much churn and so much change, they're not going to be the same people. So I would say to you that, that the way in which individuals, humans that move up and you don't maintain the same relationship with those humans, it is part of the challenge that leads to the issue that you say, well, what can they judge on? They can just judge on returns. And they, so, so I do think there isn't, there isn't an element there, but I, I would sort of suggest that as a GP who is there for the whole 10 year period and does have, and has to form all these new relationships, it is a hell of a lot easier and a more fulfilling and purposeful life. If you drive and you, you, you do operate from the point of view of, of the types of stuff that I'm saying, that every person that you see and every person you meet build a new trusting relationship with them. And, and I think the chance of them being able to connect with you at a, at a level when it's a, hey, I know that I'm supposed to do the returns, but I really like this person and I have faith in this person, it, could still, it can still help in that respect. So one, yes, the results I think will be better, but at the end of the day, I think it's a question of how do you want to live your life? I like that very uh, emotionally mature response. Uh, very forward thinking. I love it. Um, Isla, do you want to do another breakout room? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll pop you into rooms. You're going to get 10 minutes and I'll, I'll be sure the distance give you a bit of a notice before I close the rooms up. Um, the, the next question to discuss is what are some of the things you wish you had known before you became a GP or LP that would really have smoothened the journey for you from a relationship perspective? and probably emotional distress perspective. So I'll pop you into rooms now and I'll bring you back at uh, 57. See you later. All right, I think everybody is back. So we do try to end this right at the top of the hour. So we are going to do a quick wrap up and then um, the Telegram link is probably in the chat. If not, it'll be in just a second. Uh, please join and continue the conversation. Uh, John, you also have the link. Um, there might be some more questions as follow up from this conversation. So feel free to take the conversation even a little bit more virtual. But uh, up next, so Telegram, I already mentioned that, join, have a chat, they're really good about introductions in particular. Um, tomorrow we have another event. So it is the diffuse launch for Stable Fi. I did briefly talk about it and you can learn a lot more tomorrow, but it is a DeFi fund in uh, only investing digital assets that are pegged to US dollar. So theoretically it's market neutral. Um, it doesn't matter whether crypto goes up or down. Actually strong movements, just given the strategy will increase the yield, but it's a yield generating project with just frankly obscene returns out there right now. So come learn a little bit more about that. And then next week we have Real revenue in, in digital assets. So folks that are specialists in generating revenue and what that looks like. So do not be shy about hopping on and learning uh, next week, 10 a.m. Wednesday. Same as every week. Uh, Isla, any discussion points that I neglected? No, I don't think so. Um, just as an FYI, if you're keen to join the New York event, there'll be a link to it in the newsletter tomorrow. But feel free to send me a personal email as well. Um, or ping me on LinkedIn and I will add you to the calendar invite. You can find all of our events on the website as well if you're looking for it. As well as transcripts and podcasts. We have podcasts. Right. Come check out podcasts. You can see all of our speakers, not all of our speakers, all of our speakers since January 1st. So come, come check them out. <laughs> but that being said, thank you everybody so much for coming out. John, 
thank you for your comments. Um, in my in our last breakout room, basically everybody was sitting around uh, complimenting your strategy and how incredibly important it is uh, to think through these things deliberately in any enterprise. So thank you for sharing your uh, your thoughts and your insights. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah. With that, everybody have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow, 10 a.m. Or if not, next week, 10 a.m. on the same day, Wednesday. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.